0: It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Monday, February 7th, 2022. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. We start the news today with a clarification from last week. In a story that aired last Friday on Raven News concerning the theft of electricity by a Sitka businessman, we reported that the defendant, 59-year-old Richard A. Forrest, had pleaded guilty to one count of misdemeanor criminal mischief and to one count of felony theft all of which is correct. However, the court's judgment against Forrest has been suspended until he serves two years probation and pays the ordered fines, at which time all charges will be dismissed. Otherwise, should Forrest fail to meet the conditions of his probation, the judgment will be entered and the felony conviction will stand. 32 new coronavirus cases were reported in Sitka between Wednesday and Thursday, according to data from the Alaska Department of Health and Social Services. The city's seven-day case rate now stands at 120, down from 137 last week. Statewide, every municipality is in high COVID alert. Alaska reported 1,566 new cases Thursday and 160 current hospitalizations. Since the onset of the pandemic, Sitka has reported a total of 2,060 positive cases. The Sitka School District will have to wrestle down a $2 million deficit next year, and it's looking for the city's help. Starting the annual budget process in the whole is not unusual for the district. In fact, it's usually the case. But it always prompts hard conversations about how to make ends meet. The Sitka School Board and the Sitka Assembly met in special session on Thursday to take a look at school finances, which are the single largest expense of city government. Superintendent Frank Hauser outlined the problem.
1: There are a couple items to keep in mind when considering the projected deficit. Uh, we're expecting enrollment to remain steady. Salaries and benefits uncertainties exist due to ongoing collective bargaining with two employee bargaining groups. We are expecting science curriculum expenses this year in light of the adoption of the new science standards. And again, of course, it is still very early in the budgeting process. Cuts will need to occur in conjunction with the use of fund balance. It's important to note that the fund balance alone cannot sustain a $2 million deficit between projected revenues and projected expenses.
0: The fund balance is the district's savings account, which currently stands at over $3 million. But the board usually prefers to draw it down only as a last resort. Assemblymember Tor Christensen asked Hauser the $2 million question.
1: Any thoughts on how you're going to make, I mean, I know it's early on, and how you're going to make up that $2 million. I've already had some conversations with my principals, uh, go through and look at ways of trying to identify um, cost savings. Uh, We are looking at, um, you know, determining if there's going to be any retirements resignations and trying to manage some of the, um, you know, reduction through managed attrition uh, and looking at ways to just kind of streamline. We do have some... uh, Uh, ESSER money is available still um, from the uh, CARES Act and the uh, COVID money that came through and there is a possibility utilizing some of that um, to help offset some costs.
0: Enrollment in the district has continued a slow decline but the anticipated drop next year is not enough to explain the deficit. In fact the 40 intensive needs students served by the district help support district finances by bringing in roughly 13 times more funding per pupil than other students. Assemblymember Rebecca Himschut, a longtime teacher in the district, asked Hauser about the impact of intensive needs students on the budget. Because those students often have a, a human being attached to them, right? It's, it's a huge personnel cost. So Yes,
1: it is. It is a huge personnel cost. You know, I, I hesitate to ask specifically if that's exact because it could depend specifically on the students and the needs for that student. Um, you know, it's about $80,000 when you look at the, uh, each intensive needs student.
0: City Administrator John Leach said it was likely to be this assembly's approach to start by funding the district with the maximum allowable contribution, often called the CAP. It would be just under $8 million next year, or 39% of the district's overall budget. Not all assemblies in the recent past have had the same approach. Hauser was grateful and now looked to the state government to revisit its obligations to education under the BSA, or Base Student Allocation.
1: I mean, I think the fact that we're, we're starting with being funded to the cap is just it's great i mean i i'm not even gonna i mean that's just a fantastic position to be in and just the support that we've seen so far has just been um it's just a real positive feeling um, but when we look at state funding that has kept us uh, at a flat bsa since 2017 cost increasing in, uh, inflation and all the other factors that come into place um, we are we are finding it more and more difficult to be competitive You know with hiring and retaining um, you know our teachers and our paraprofessionals and our administrators and so it's something that we need to take into consideration and when the city funds us to the cap but yet the state has us you know at a flat bsa for the last you know since 2017 five years four years Mm -hmm. that we, we have to figure out a way to still be able to make and find those you know, resources to be able to continue to um, meet our obligations and provide those services for our students.
0: The next community budget hearing before the Sitka School Board will be at 6 p.m. on Wednesday, February 16th in Harrigan Centennial Hall. The budget must be finalized and submitted to the Assembly by the end of April. Juno's electric utility is tackling a problem that just about every other community currently served by gas stations is likely to have – how to manage public fast-charging stations for electric vehicles. Although Juno's got one of the highest levels of electric vehicle ownership per capita in the country, it's only got four public fast-charging stations. That's not stopping Alaska Electric Light and Power Company and other utilities around the state from working on updating how they bill customers that run fast charging stations and others that will make it easier to operate any type of EV charging station. KTOO's Jeremy Shea reports.
2: I'm Shai Yuhan. I'm a a resident in Portland, Oregon, and I uh, went up to uh, Juneau to visit a, a friend for a wedding and check out some whales. He got familiar with all four fast chargers in town this past summer because he rented a Tesla Model S and didn't have a place to charge it where he was staying. Because we rented the Model S, we had to return it with, like, a reasonable amount of fill, and it was difficult. His rental car host ended up giving him a break on the recharge, but it's not unusual for EV owners, including me, to be in Han's situation. EV owners who can't charge at home are sometimes called garage orphans ael and and other utilities are proposing two significant changes for EV charging. First, they clarify that EV station operators are okay to resell electricity. Alaska's rules about this were unclear until state regulators made an exception in October. There were workarounds, for example, pricing according to Time Connected. In Juneau, the city runs a few charging stations in paid public parking garages. But otherwise, all of the public chargers in Juno are free to their users. Of course, their operators do get billed. Han, who also drives a Tesla in Portland, says when businesses offer free charging, it's an attraction. Now he frequents a spot about an hour's drive outside the city where he can charge for free. You know, we discovered this winery because it was on the Tesla supercharging network. And so it's a little bit like a business development thing for the winery. For effectively like $2 worth of electricity, I, I spend two hours there, I get a great charge and you know spend anywhere from 100 to $300 worth of you know wine and food and things like that. The other change utilities want to make is to simplify the billing for customers with fast charging stations. This would only apply to fast chargers that are on their own dedicated meters. They deliver power at a very high rate, but only for a very short period. That's Alec Mezdag, Vice President and Director of Energy Services and Metering with AELNP. Fast charging is great for EV drivers, but hard for an electric utility to build and operate a grid around. See, utilities have to build the infrastructure to accommodate the highest loads at any given moment, even though the system will run far below capacity most of the time. From a utilities perspective, it's much more efficient for EV drivers to recharge slowly over several hours than in irregular 20-minute spurts that some fast chargers make possible. Across Alaska, big commercial customers and smaller customers with especially spiky electricity demands get charged differently than typical residential customers. They pay for the total amount of electricity they use each month, plus an extra fee called a demand charge. It's based on the single biggest spike of electricity use each month. EV fast chargers are not steadily used. In fact, they're idle most of the time. When too few people plug in, that can lead to some bonkers bills under the current rate structure. Utilities and policymakers do want to make it easier for more people to switch to electric cars. Because overall, we recognize that electric vehicles are a good thing. They uh, they have benefits that they provide to the system overall, but we still have this issue of not wanting to inequitably recover costs from different users. It's a balancing act. As things are, it's really unappealing to set up fast chargers. If utilities lower rates for EV stations and overcorrect, then everyone could be paying for the people who use the charging stations. State regulators decided that utilities should have new fixed rates for EV fast charging stations and drop the fee that makes high idle time so problematic. It's up to each utility to propose their own rates, and it's up to the Regulatory Commission of Alaska to decide if they're fair. State lawyers can also weigh in on behalf of ratepayers. payers. AEL&P's proposed rates vary seasonally. They also vary by the type of customer. On the low end, it would cost about $8 to charge up a Chevy Bolt in the summer. On the high end, say for Fred Meyer or a for-profit charging network that tries to set up shop, it'd be about $15 in the winter. AEL&P and other
0: I'm Aaron Fulton, and this has been Raven News.
1: This is more-